welcome to a special Alex Burns Supper edition of Drawlers Raw. My name is David Forrest. Matt Greer is currently painting his fist, so he will not be hosting this week. Joining me to talk about recent goings on at Thistle, Mark Wallace. Hello. And Jamie McDonalds. Hey. So this week we're going to be having a look at the career of Alec Toasty Burns, uh, who played for Thistle for just over a season. He uh, had a great impact on the club at the time, in honour of Burns Night, obviously. Um, as well as that, we'll be talking about recent going-ons at Thistle, and as well as that, we've got a Burns Poetry competition at the end. So first up, um, I believe this is the first time we've talked about the lockdown on the pod. We just kind of shut everything down once they, they stopped the games. They said it was going to be to the end of January. There's talk of it being restarted by March, but a big development in it was the letter from the 20 clubs in League 1 and League 2 who have said that they will commit to testing if it means that they can get back in playing games again, even if it's without crowds. Mark, your thoughts on the letter and the, the, the general shutdown? Do you think it was the right thing to do? Or? Well, I personally thought it was a bit silly to, to do so, considering from Thistle's perspective, of course, that uh, we were testing our players and staff weekly. But I understand that other teams may not have the wherewithal to do that uh, on a weekly basis, considering uh, only ourselves and Falkirk and Airdrie are full-time in a league of 10 so it's easy to say oh yeah but we are testing but not that those other teams aren't it's a case of being sort of sensible with with the situation because these guys are part-time players they have jobs away from football they'll probably be getting tested there as well so you would anticipate that the situation is markedly different for us than it is to other sides. On the letter, it's a good, it's a good thing that there's the clubs are committing to this. I think we need to get back to playing football quickly. We have a shortened season. I would hate to have it shortened further because I think that would I think that would only further complicate things. I think we have to get a framework going forward. My concern, if you can call it that is if if these if the sudden turnaround and the the testing where's the financial reparations or the money for that coming because it costs a lot of money to do that and I know that it certainly costs us a lot of money to be testing every week I want to know how or where any money's coming from because as we've talked about previously the lower leagues got far less money than the clubs in the championship for them they're also testing weekly and playing so I want to know where all that sort of factors into everything Jamie? Uh, yeah overall I was happy to see the letter uh, to see the news that the clubs had written in I don't want to get too excited yet because you know you never know what's going to happen with these things could be a disappointment they could reject it but if all the clubs do stick to it with the testing they can't really say no because that was the main reason for the leagues getting shut down and that's why the Premiership and Championship have been allowed to continue because they have committed to testing so if the clubs in our league and League 2 do commit to it then I hope to see the return of the league the facts in March is a bit annoying but I'm not too surprised about it I'm just mainly thankful if the football will come back obviously it's a bit late in the transfer window now but we've got some time left with that so it's come at a decent time so we've got a few days left to try hopefully bring in some players but Overall, I'm just happy to see that the clubs have come together and actually been able to agree on something after, obviously, the mess last summer with the clubs not being able to agree, the constant infighting. It's good to finally see they've come together to agree that they want to at least to continue with the testing because in lockdown with football, it's, you know, it's, it's horrendous having not, because there's nothing to do anyway. And that's one of the very few things you can look forward to in your week. And not having that, it's been terrible. We've not seen a game since the 26th as festival fans due to cancellations and then, obviously, just the football going off. But I don't want to get my hopes up too much in case it doesn't go through. But um, I'm optimistic, but not. I'm not going to make. Not going to think that it's it's a done deal. It's signed. But so we've obviously still got to get it past, you know, Doncaster and Maxwell, etc. But hopefully, hopefully it's positive stuff and the football will be back on in March. I agree. Like it was, it was very good to see clubs coming together. You know, showing a united front. I think that we have been pretty consistent over the pandemic that we have consistently advocated for a united front and the clubs should be coming together and they should be looking for the common good as opposed to for their own self-interest 
And I think that this is a real a positive step towards that and that clubs are coming together for the common good. You mentioned about the transfers, uh, Jamie. So obviously there is seven days uh, left of the transfer window. Do you foresee us getting anybody in? Is anybody you would like to see us bring in? I don't know if there'll be anybody we can really sign. This is something that I think something needs to be thought of for the lower leagues in regards to this because if we're not going to be playing by March, then surely we should be getting the whole of February to do transfer business. It's just I think it's logical, and that's it's just from a purely common sense standpoint. I just think that that's the fairest thing they can do. Because at the end of the day, we're talking with this whole thing has been talking about a united front pulling together after all the the nastiness that came about last summer from the vote and stuff like that. If we really want to be pulling together, we need to find a solution to lower league teams being put at a significant advantage, a disadvantage, sorry, from this situation. Because if they just say no, that's your lot and lower league sides are left to just deal with the fact that teams in the higher t- in higher tiers are pulling their players out from loans at our level because they're not playing and they can't train. In what world is that fair to us who are affected by that? Because obviously Kieran Wright is on loan at us from Rangers and Blair Spittle is on loan at us from, from Ross County and he's gone back to train with them because he can't train with us. And there are other clubs as well, like who have multiple players on loan from higher tier sides, teams like Forfer, I think, who have got four or five. Like they, those players have been pulled, and like they've already got a small enough squad as it is. I don't think it's fair on them either. It's not just maybe looking at this from a sort of Thistle perspective, I know, on a Thistle podcast, but there's so many glaring things that needs to be that need to be sorted that are very logical, very simple things to do. And it says a lot that a lot of fans have misgivings and concerns about governments. That is something that a well-run football association shouldn't have to worry about. With the transfer window, obviously getting it extended would be good, but I mean, I haven't, I can't see them being accommodating to the lower leagues because frankly, I just don't think they care enough, unfortunately. I'd love it if they were. But, I mean, it's not exactly like they've been generous towards us throughout the whole pandemic. It's not like the authorities haven't exactly been on our side at any point. So I can't see them doing it, even though it would be the fairer thing to do. I just because, in fact, they're going to they'll use the excuses, we're not stopping you signing players. Because, they're, effectively, they're not. But the league's being off. It's, it's a massive way to stop us signing players because players don't want to come to a team and they don't know if football's going to resume. And we don't know if we can afford to pay, pay players that may never end up playing. But since... it. It's looking like hopefully the league's be coming back. I want to see, to see us bringing at least one player, if I'm being honest, because we do need a striker, especially now Salim's departed. We definitely need a striker because we only have two. And Zach Rudden, because as much as he's fit right now, we don't, we can't trust his fitness. He's been, his fitness has been dodgy since arriving to us. He's been in and out constantly, never lasted more than like a run of three games or something or four games in the team before getting injured again. I want to see us bring in a striker. I'd been kind of hoping we'd uh, go in for Liam Buchanan from Alloa. Obviously, he's an ex-Jag. I'd like to see him come back. I think he'd do well this level, to be honest. And if we were to add another one, I mean, I doubt highly that it's going to happen, but I've been wanting us to sign Reese Cole for quite a while. I wanted us to sign him in summer, but I don't, honest, I don't, I can't see that happening, but I'd love it to. Uh, we, we don't know who we're going to be in for, to be honest. I have no idea who we've been linked to. I don't. I can't say any names, because I don't know who we're, who we're in for, but I'm hoping we can bring in at least one player before the window shuts just to strengthen our squad before the football comes back or after the football comes back because we do need uh, something more, especially another striker. Like Jamie said, like I think someone like Reese Cole I think could be more of a use rather than maybe another striker because McCall's talked about before about a lot of our issues being like our, our midfield and attack the sort of linking. You need a player who can take a speculative shot from distance and we know what Reese Cole can do from distance. I think that's a I think that's a bigger factor for us. Not necessarily the goals like the striker scoring goals, but I feel like our attacking shape is 
so lethargic. I feel like at times we are playing with the with the handbrake on, and it's extremely frustrating because I noticed that statistic that Pine Bovril put out that the goal average in our games is the lowest in the entire SPFL and you can look at that and say oh yeah we are boring but we've only conceded six goals in ten games defensively we're fairly solid we've lost three games all season uh, all of them have been 1-0 to late-ish goals the defence is doing something of a good job we are just this is ACA of course uh, we need to score more goals, but if we could work a wee bit harder on linking on midfield and attack and finding someone in that sort of area, not necessarily a striker, but just some more creative players, a winger maybe, because we can't. The stats obviously for Joe Cardell are pretty good in his Thistle career, but he's also 34, and you can't necessarily be relying on a 34-year-old wide man to provide you with goals. I think. The last time I saw him do anything of remote uh, quality was the Queen's Park game where he came on and he scored the two goals. But I think creativity, maybe less so than actual goal scoring because in order to score, you need service. And that's, for me, somewhere where I'd like to see us. I'd like to see us maybe get a winger. Blair Lyons has not been what we thought he was going to be. I don't know if there's something going on there mentally. Like he's finding it difficult stepping up to full-time football from part-time at Montrose. Again, just sort of width and creativity, maybe more than a centre-forward. I don't think we talked about this in the podcast at the time, but it was a week or two ago. Someone on Twitter crunched the numbers in terms of like attacking players, and uh, Joe Cardo looked at Lionel Messi as in, like, Every graph was everyone else is in the sort of bottom left hand corner, maybe top left a wee bit, and literally on the on the top right hand corner on his own was Joe Cardell in every graph of work rate and um, you know covering blades of grass and stuff like that. But it doesn't actually translate to anything. We you know if you were to look at those stats in isolation, you'd think he's incredible, but it's not it's not actually translated into goals. One thing I would say is that I think that the league being halted for a couple of weeks might actually be a blessing for us because we've had all these injuries and we've got, the, what, eight weeks before we come back for all our players to heal up and get fit and stuff like that. And that could be a real boon to us going into like March, April, where we've got a fully fit side, hopefully playing at strength. That that could be the, the thing that kind of turns the tides you know, for us is having sort of your your ruddens and stuff like that up to full fitness along with like old wear and things like that. Do you feel that that's we're going to see that sort of new player effect where we're going to see players coming back from injury and stuff like that, sort of treating like a new player that we've not had before? Do you think that's going to be an advantage to us? It depends. I mean, it depends how many players are back by then. Blair Spittle's just come back from injury. And if we can get his loan extended, that's one thing I forgot to mention about January. I really hope we get Spill's loan extended because he's a huge player for us and he, he would be if he was fit. He would make difference in games. He's just a player who's, as we don't really have in the team, willing to take on a shot from distance. You look at his goal against Airdrie. He's a good player, especially for this level. So I'm really hoping we can get that extended. I know some journalist on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, but was saying that it looks like he's going back to train with them while the football's off and then his loan's going to be extended and he's going to come back here. How true that is, how true that is, um, I don't know. But uh, hopefully that is true and he does come back. Brian Graham hopefully makes a speedy recovery from that concussion. Who knows how long, I mean, he's been out for over a month now with it. So obviously that's a cause for concern as they thought he'd be back in like a week or something. But hopefully by the time the football comes back, he is back and he can get back playing. Uh, Zach Rudden, he's still got that suspension hanging over him, so whenever the football does come back, he won't be able to play that first game. But as long as he can stay fit, then it'd be good to have him up top as well as another option. But I agree with you, David. I don't think we'll do a huge amount of business in January, if I'm being honest. I think we'll bring in one, two players and what's left of it, two at most, to be honest. It's not enough time to be. I don't think we're going to suddenly like bring in like four or five players. I can't see that happening. And McCall originally identified at the start of January is to offload a couple of players, which he's done because... Uh, Breen and uh, Salim's loans have both been cut. Um, they said he wants to bring in a striker and a winger. Uh, I know there's possible talks about a winger maybe coming from uh, who used to play or used to play for us. Um, it was a McCall signing, but we don't know if uh, that's confirmed yet or not. That's going to end up happening. But 
So he looks like he wants to bring in that in a striker, but I really do think we need a number 10. I know he didn't mention it. So Reece, like Mark was saying, Reese Cole is a player who can take on a shot from distance. He can get assists, he can get goals. He's a player that would stand out in this league. I really do hope we can offer him a contract, even just to the end of the season, and bring him in because I think it is something missing. Even with players coming back, we don't have anyone who's coming back who's that kind of Reese Cole player. Spitzel was the closest we've got to it, but it's not the same kind of player. And I really do think we lack that. So I'm hoping we do bring a number 10 in. Yeah, I, I wonder in regards to sort of the spate of injuries and stuff like that. I think they want to start fast this season because if you think about it, a shortened season, you need to start quickly. We didn't start quickly. The mentality of that, not starting quickly when you feel like you have to, which means your prob- players are probably more eager to exert themselves and get the get things moving has probably led to a lot of these injuries because you, you're not doing things at your usual pace. You're wanting to be where you are sort of July, August, but you're doing it in October, November. It's colder. The weather gets in the road. You're wanting to be running about like you are in July, August, in October, November, December. And as we've seen from the weather recently, it's not been great. So I wonder how much of a factor that sort of thing is in regards to what has been a ridiculous amount of misfortune with uh, the type of injuries we've been picking up. And I wonder if, like David said, this sort of break has been a good thing where players can maybe just chill out a wee bit and just keep themselves on a sort of even keel at a time of year where they're probably wanting to be a wee bit more eager to get out there, but there's different rules and restrictions in place and things like that. Obviously, we touched on previously about Celine um, and Reese Green being sent back to their parent clubs, uh, Livingston and Rangers. It's very strange. They'll be one of very few players. It'll be a great pub trivia question down the line to name the players that played for Thistle and never played in front of Thistle fans. I don't think Reese Breen will be missed too much. I had a, a wee comment on this on Twitter. The guy that does the sort of Rangers youth updates kind of challenged me on it a wee bit. And I I thought Reese was okay at best. Like he'd, he had a ropey start in that submitting game, but everybody did it. It was our first game since March in like September, October. So we'd be incredibly harsh to totally hang him out to dry on that. But he, he sort of done the basic stuff really well. For this at this level, you're not gonna be getting guys of a really good standard. Like you're not even gonna be getting the somewhat competent Danny Devine like when he was in tandem with Liam Lindsay at this level. It's not even gonna be that standard. And I thought Reese done okay. Salim had a really good season in nineteen twenty with uh, with Queen's Park. By all accounts he was a sort of jack of all trades type of striker. He could score he could be physical, he could be technically very good, he could score all kinds of goals. For us, I just think it was the wrong move. I think he would have been better off being loaned straight back to Queen's Park because of that familiarity, because on top of that, he's going from Queen's Park to Livingston full-time with Gary Holt and David Martindale when they signed him, and then he's having to adjust to that, and then he's being loaned out to us where he's having to adjust again. And it's I, I don't think it's ideal for any football like that. I think he could have been best served maybe going back to Queen's Park where there's a bit of familiarity. It just didn't work. These type of loan signings happen all the time where guys just don't fit in no matter what you do or whether they're good or they're not. Some things just don't work out. And Salim was one of those guys. The injuries as well. But he had, he had to do a lot of adjusting. Because he moved up two levels and then dropped down one, and it was one management team and then ours, and then it was in and out of the team. So a lot of factors at play there, but wouldn't you say I would? I'll be remembering them fondly, but I think there was a lot of stuff in play. I think a lot of players and so I will look back in the season like that. I think a lot of state of flux with Salim and Breen. Reese Breen, I, to be honest, I expected both of their loans to be cut in January. I'd been saying that. I thought they were both going to depart. 
Reese Breen, I mean, he did the job. He, he looked a bit nervous sometimes, he looked a bit better in his later games, but uh, he wasn't going to get the team anymore. I mean, he's fallen behind Senna, who's another one who come in. He's behind Senna, he's behind Brownlee. When O'Ware comes back, he'd be behind him, McKenna. So a lot of centre-halves in front of him. And it's kind of a waste of a loan to sit as the fifth-choice centre-back or fourth if O'Ware was still out. But even, even at that, you know, um, sitting that far behind, not getting really any game time, which is the whole point of a loan. So I wish him all the best, but I can see why that loan was cut and it made sense. With Salim, uh, and obviously there's been injuries and some with uh, why he's not played. But I think it's a shame because I think he really could have offered something to the team if he'd been available for selection because he obviously scored, I think it was 17 goals last season for Queen's Park. And I thought he really could offer something. And looking at the goals he scored last uh, season, he was good at scoring headers. He was good at, seems to be good at taking penalties for them anyway, which obviously we've been appalling at. Uh, so I'm kind of, I'm disappointed we didn't really get to see anything of him. But again, I wish him the best. And I hope he uh, kicks on at Livingston or if he goes out on loan again, I hope he does well there. But it's a shame that it didn't really work out. But, yeah, as as Mark says, that does happen alone sometimes. Uh, yeah, I wish both players the best. Sorry, mate. Now we'll move on to our next segment, um, our top five toasty moments um, to celebrate the career of Alec Burns at Thistle. In at number five is the 4-0 victory over Dunfermline on the 7th of December 2002. I mean, at the time, Dunfermline were a crack unit. They were third in the league in the SPL, and they were five points ahead of fourth place. I mean, some of the players they had in that team, like Andreas Skeller, mm-hmm. um, Craig Brewster, Barry Nicholson, Stephen Crawford. Stephen Crawford got double digits that season um, scoring for them, so they were by no means a poor team. They were, they were on an absolute flyer at that point. Indeed, and like I look at that Dunfermline side and the, the guys you mentioned there, as well as uh, guys like Gary Mason, Gary Dempsey, Jason Dare, who were all experienced sort of guys or young guys coming through. They are, a future Thistle player, Sean Colgannon, played in this game. Uh, Derek Stilley, uh, who despite conceding four goals, got a 7 out of 10 for his performance in, in this game. like There was a lot of really good players in that Dunfermline side, and of course a year later they would go on to uh, reach the Scottish Cup final and qualify for Europe. So Dunfermline were very much on the sort of crest of the sort of wave under Jimmy Calderwood and Jimmy Nicol at the time. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But it made it even more shocking that we managed to get a result um, out Indeed, of that. because our form in that season, sketchy at best, because like even if you look at it, that Dunfermline win was, we only won eight games that season, but like, we weren't doing well at all. Because we'd come into this Dunfermline game three days after losing 4-1 away at Dundee. Obviously, coming into it, Dunfermline as you mentioned, going very well in the league, and we would go on to lose our next two games after this Dunfermline game as well, uh, away to Hearts and then at home to Rangers in a rather infamous match indeed. But I mean, like this Dunfermline game, I think it really exemplified the sort of understanding that Burns and Jerry Britton had together. I mean, they absolutely ran the Dunfermline defence oh, ragged. All oh, game. definitely. Aye, Britton scored the first, and he was lucky, unlucky not to get a second because Burns mm-hmm. set him up. Uh, with a header that hit the crossbar that probably should have went in, to be honest. Burns got his first when Shaggy picked him out in the left with a great pass, allowing Toasty to slot it home from the edge of the box. Uh, great wee goal, but um, he then gets his second dispatch on a low shot that sent the ball into the left side of Derek Stilley's goal off the boot of Lee Bullen. Even though that Burns has subbed off after an hour, which seems a bit strange for a game where we're talking about his top five moments, I mean, the damage was done at that point, and even then, the sub that came on for him, Scott McLean, scored the fourth goal. It was just an absolutely huge victory that came out of nowhere against a very strong Dunfermline side that I think, reading the match reports from Dunfermline, they were quite dumbfounded as to where it came from. They absolutely were not expecting it whatsoever. Scott McLean comes on in that game, as you mentioned, and like he scores, which means that he... Uh, becomes like like he scores in all four divisions uh, in Scottish football. He'd scored in the third division for Inverness in his time there, and then obviously the the other three tiers with Thistle. So it was a team that had a lot of sort of steady hands. Maybe not the best, but it was a very very much a sum of the parts. Something that I think is a very common trait among. Uh, Thistle sides in the top flight certainly 
in this era and certainly between 2013 and 2018 as well. There's a, a there's a good collective there of hard a lot of hard work with a bit of flair and and whatnot thrown in. And that partnership you mentioned with uh, Jerry Britton uh, comes. We're going to come on to that later on because some of the combination play between the two of them is incredible. When you consider this is early 2000s Scottish football, the the link up between these guys is is terrific. Like it's. It's the type of stuff, like the sort of understanding they have, is one of those things you would be go- going mad for today. When in an age where everything's all about understanding psychology, analytics, analysing where guys are, knowing where guys are on the park, picking things out, taking touches, reflex and such, you could you could say sometimes it's ahead of its time. Absolutely, I think the closest we got. I know we only seen it for maybe you know a, a couple of games there. The closest I ever got to that sort of kinetic understanding was when Dylan and McDonald played together. Oh yeah, definitely. They just, they just knew where each other were. To be fair, they never played with each other before. Know what they're doing up top. Aye. It's it, it's a lot harder to manifest than you think. It's very easy to think, oh, we'll get two good strikers and play them together. It doesn't always work like that. It's not what. It's certainly not worked for bigger clubs than us. It's a hard thing to do, and you look at how Jerry and, and Toasty played together as quite something. And we'll move on to our next one, uh, so number four. The 1-0 against Aberdeen at Pataudry on the 8th of February 2003. This is a, a very, very scrappy game. Both sides on quite a poor run of form at the time. Um, yes, I, I, Aberdeen were in the possibility of being dragged into a relegation mire at this point. Um, certainly, re- again, reading the match reports from it. I think a lot of them felt that that was going to be them going into a relegation battle. It didn't really pan out that way, but I mean, certainly at that point, I think both teams were on a pretty poor run. It, it, the weird thing about it was is that Aberdeen absolutely were all over us the whole for the first 10, 15 minutes, and then the goal came out of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. They were taking control. Again, Jerry Britton delivered the ball. The, the Aberdeen defence froze for a moment, and Burns just pounced and hit a crisp shot past David Priest in the 13th minute. Against the run of play, but it just shows you the sort of magic that they could pull out. Where even if you knock on the ascendancy, it's just that wee wee bit of luck that um, got them. But I mean, it was the only goal of the game, and I would say between this and the Dunfermline game we just talked about, those points are arguably the crucial points that kept us out of the relegation battle. I know Muddle stayed up anyway because of Falkirk Stadium was, but in alternate universe, or you know, Falkirk, you know, we're going to get promoted, or another team had won the championship. Not winning these two games could have seen as being relegated. It was a very tight sort of season for us uh, State keeping our heads above Motherwell and United in that season and one of the things that's quite interesting is that we took 9 points out of 12 off, the, off of Aberdeen this season and if you were to say that in our tenure in the top flight since uh, you would people would think you were mad because we won both regular season games at Pataudry this season and beat them at Firhill as well uh, this game in particular, uh, we did ride our luck, as you mentioned. We took the lead, obviously, in the interception of, the, of a throw-in, which Jerry feeds into, into Toasty for the goal. Aberdeen also missed a penalty through Phil Maguire in this game. So like, we did, we certainly did ride our luck, and it was it was not a bad... like for, for a, It was a bit of a low period in Aberdeen's history, certainly, but... The guys they had playing for them, Derek Young would uh, play for Thistle for a bit. Um, but guys like David Priest, Phil Maguire, Russell Anderson, Jimmy McAllister, Kevin McNaughton, like the Scotland caps in there, Darren Mackey as well. Although not the greatest striker, he, he scored a fair few, I think he scored 50 odd goals for Aberdeen. Uh, everybody's favourite reading champion, Darren Mackey. Uh, Lauren Jaffo was on the bench and on youth sub who had done very well for your United. In particular, against us in a in a really low point in our history, like in our team, like what more needs to be said about guys like about Shaggy, Jamie Buck and Jamie Buck and David Rouse and Martin Hardy. You've got Archie, Toasty, Jerry Britton, you got Ricky Waddle in there as well. A lot, there's a lot to like about that team. Stephen Cragen as well, Kenny Arthur in goals, Derek Fleming. A lot of good guys in that team. 
it wasn't really vintage Aberdeen, certainly, but any time you can go up to play a big side like Aberdeen and get points is is, is a great achievement. Well, especially because this is the last time we've won at Pataudry. We don't Indeed. think we've not beaten them since. And 19 years on, we've still beat them at Pataudry since this. So absolutely, at the very least, it should be cherished for that. So last time we actually took three points off of them away. We'll move on to our number three. This is the 1-1 against Airdrie on the 6th of April 2002. Now, a lot of people obviously remember Elliot's last-minute heroics against Airdrie in the 12-13 season. I would argue this is an even bigger moment for the club in, in similar circumstances. You know, it was at Airdrie. It was a championship battle. But this is, I think, absolutely exceeds the, the Elliot goal in terms of importance for us. We were both in a really precarious position at the moment. We we were undergoing renovations of Farrell at the time, anticipating a promotion, uh, mm-hmm. basically, basically throwing all our chips in um, on getting promoted. Airdrie had done the same uh, previously and had paid the price. They were in deep financial trouble. I mean, all the reports talk about the charity buckets and that out. This was very, very close to Airdrie being liquidated. Ian McCall, we know we'll remember this very well because he was the manager of Airdrie at the time. We were seven yes. points clear of Airdrie at the time, four games to go going into this. And I think as a Thistle fan, you do get the feeling that if, if we lose that, you would just immediately think, oh, we're chucking it. That's us. Yeah. You know, we're going to lose the league. I, I don't think there would be I think a single Thistle fan who wouldn't have thought that. And arguably, our, Airdrie could have went on and won it if we hadn't uh, won that game. So, yeah, a, a, a huge pivotal game. Indeed, uh, this game, like you mentioned, there's a lot of parallels with the the 12-13 season where we scored late against Airdrie in a, in a vitally important game in order to secure promotion or, or go a long way to doing so. In this game, we hadn't beaten Airdrie all season. Uh, of course, Ian McCall was the manager of that Airdrie team. Uh, were running themselves into the ground and ultimately they would go out of business. But that Airdrie side had so many very talented players, one of which, of course, Owen Coyle, who was something of a bit noir for Thistle for years. He relegated us six years previously with Dundee United. Like, you've got Matt Roberts in there, Jerome Verai. There's great players in there, man. So it was a tough one to deal with, considering... We did blow hot and cold at times that season, even though we did eventually secure promotion. Uh, we didn't. We we made it sort of a wee bit more difficult for ourselves, and of course, Airdrie would go on to finish the season in disgrace at Air when their fans rioted because uh, Airdrie Stadium, uh, New Bro- Airdrie's New Broomfield Stadium, would be built by Bill Barr, who was the obviously the construction magnate who was also the chairman of Air United at the time. So there was a lot of perceived anger towards him, and there was also rumours that uh, Barr was going to uh, dismantle the ground and move it to Air to replace Somerset Park, as far-fetched as that might sound. It certainly is referenced in the Telegraph report for this match. But yeah, no, it's a very, very tough time. And like, well, we mentioned Mark Roberts, obviously. He was the one who played played in the crossroad and coil. And he he taps it into the net. It's it's very, very, very scrappy. It's it's quintessential first division Scottish football goal. Oh, yeah. Like, chaos in the box. The time. Yeah. And the thing that I think is sadly lacking is that at the time, the first division get TV coverage. We uh, sort of a magazine show on a Sunday afternoon. Was it Scott Sport first? first? on STV. Yeah. And something I think is sadly lacking, although I must admit, you do get the championship on BBC Scotland now, uh, um, and we've had games on there. Although it was the the sort of lower division, uh, people were aware of it. The people saw the, they saw the goals, they saw the players, they saw the games. Like, it's not as much now where you could... I think a lot of people would struggle to name the cha- players in the championship. And certainly, if if you look at Hearts, for example, a massive team in that league, if they were to drop down at that period of the time, they probably wouldn't have that much of a clue what they were getting, what they were going to be in for. So it, it was a time where things were a lot... substantially different. Yeah, and, and this is obviously famously 
documented in the speaking of television uh, the bbc documentary grasping the thistle uh, obviously covering yeah. lambie's chase uh, for the title includes a fantastic halftime tirades where he goes off at them in the dressing room in, in vintage lambie fashion and they bite back and start arguing and stuff like that and then they go out and they, they get the draw. Do you have any thoughts on grasping the thistle yourself? Did you? I think it was, I remember what I remember seeing a bit of it at the time when I was young and like obviously this is that was before I really get into thistle and like obviously I got my best mates thistle fan. I remember watching it at the time and then obviously watching it back since. I think it's a very thistle thing. I think it covers us very well. We I think we'd be a very difficult club to do one of those uh, Amazon Prime sort of documentaries on. I think it, something like that would be too polished for us. I, I don't think it would capture the essence at all. Because, like, I've, you've seen, like, obviously the Man City, the Brazil national team and, and Spurs, etc. have been covered by these sort of things. Like, I think things like that for for us would be too, it'd be too good. Obviously, you need to be good to get them all patter. But <laughs> yeah. I think some of that would just be too nuanced, too polished for us. But whereas Grasping the Thistle just sort of really hit that sweet spot. And speaking of hitting the sweet spot, it was it was Toasty that popped up with a, a superb strike. I mean, they don't really capture it in the best angle in Grasping the Thistle, but it kind of has a bit of charm to it. Ten minutes from time to equalise and basically sink Airdrie's title hopes um, at that point. And... I, I would say there is a case to say if Burns doesn't score here and Airdrie go on to win the title, it would have ruined us because Airdrie had well, built a stadium in preparation for SPL and it backfired. There's no guarantee that if that had happened to us, we wouldn't have had similar issues. Well, uh, it nearly ruined us anyway because we were in debt to the renovations made for that a promotion campaign all the way into 2015 when Colin Weir put his money into the club. We were struggling long term with debt from that. So it, even to say, what if we didn't? Is like we still struggled with it even though we went up. And for years and years and years we were living not great at all. Like we, there were rumours certainly of us trying to sign Barry Robson and Paul Hartley from Inverness and in that time for the season going up and we couldn't afford to do it because we put all our money into getting the stadium ready and so it came at the expense of players who probably could have kept us going further down the line because if you look at the money they moved on for to other clubs it could have done us a real turn down the line and we couldn't we couldn't do that because we were living basically hand to mouth in order to get promoted yeah, and a case in point of how big this game was for ourselves, this is the last ever game we played Airdrie. Um, they, were, they were liquidated after this and we never played the old Airdrie again. Obviously, there were reborners at Airdrie United and we've played them since under another Airdrie Onions again. But it, the original entity of Airdrie Onions Football Club, this uh-huh. is the last time we ever played them. Our next game, number two in the top five toasty moments, is the 3-0 against Motherwell from Firhill on the 26th of April 2003. Motherwell, speaking of teams in financial turmoil, it just shows you the sort of the sort of landscape of Scottish football at that time. That Motherwell were uh, deep in financial trouble at the point, and they were they finished last and were only saved by Falkirk not being able to upgrade their stadium. The thing I love about this game is that um, Burns actually scored five goals against Motherwell this season and had been a Motherwell player for about four or five years and misfired. He really hadn't. He was generally thought of by the Muddle fans as a bit of a disappointment. He never really had the form that they'd expected. And then he comes to Thistle and we sign him and he scores five goals against Muddle. It's a very quintessential Thistle thing to happen. Oh, yeah, Usually yeah. in reverse, we've seen like Danny Devine for Dunfermline or Dolan Air scoring against us. But this game's a very interesting one. Like We score two pretty good goals in this game. The first one is obviously Toasty's goal. It's a great ball down, this, down out of the channel. Chases it, the angle's tightening and he finishes it absolutely sensationally. Reminds me of goals that uh, like Chris Erskine and Lyle Taylor would later score for us. Mm. It's one of those goals which is really emphatic from a difficult angle. The second goal uh, is the first of two goals for Jerry Britton. If there was a market for uh, a new Twitter account of shite 2000s football... 
the skull would be on it. Um, <laughs> there is a stramash. Is it four rebounds? I think it's four rebounds. Four or five rebounds. There are are more blocks in the build-up to this goal than I've caught on Twitter for mouthing off about right-wing politicians. Like, there is... Like, he has a shot, it's blocked, he tries again, he cut, he digs it out, that's blocked, and then he eventually gets it into the back of the net. It's quite something. The thing I love is that uh, the celebration afterwards where he, he does the Ryan Giggs sort of yeah. uh, very on vulgar point, but the fact that it was such a horrific goal is really, really funny to me. That just, I, I, think that, I think that adds to it. It's genuinely like, like I posted back during the sort of when the pandemic was really writhing, the club account were doing the sort of goal of the day thing and they put up one from the 2005-06 season uh, uh, against Wraith Rovers at, at Starks Park and it's genuinely one of the worst goals I've ever seen either as a either playing or watching as a spectator on the telly or at, at a football match the boy goes to kick it out I, I, I can't even do it justice he tries to hit the shot but the keeper can't get to it, and the keeper ends up running into the post, and it goes in. I've no idea how Steve McConnell scores this goal, and like that is for me probably the benchmark of the worst thistle goal I've ever seen. However, this Britain goal does actually come pretty close. Maybe not one A and one B, but certainly number two or number three, maybe. Yeah, it's a podium finish, certainly. And the, the, the thing I feel love about it is he'd done this and then scored a 15-yard bullet for the third goal. And I'm like, oh, you've yeah, yeah. wrong goal to celebrate in that way. If you'd done that for the third one, it'd have been amazing. But it's a really iconic photo of Jerry Britton. Um, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. The thing I also love about this game is that Burns would actually leave at the end of the season with Stephen Craig and after them pattering up so well for Fissel in that season and it just did absolutely nothing of note, which as a Motherwell fan must well, have been Burns so infuriating. Burns did. Yes, Jake Burns did nothing of all the same, to be fair, and we played him in his testimonial. The only time that Motherwell fans really felt that the real ra- the real power of uh, Burns was when he was scoring five goals against him over the, a variety of games in one season. And number one in our top five toasty moments is, of course, um, the game that you get if you Google Alex Burns Partick Thistle. Um, it is the 3-0 against Kilmarnock from the 30th of November 2002. I just, an incredible game and possibly Burns' best game as a footballer, I, I don't think there's much argument for that. I think this game is quite interesting for for a number of reasons. Uh, the first being the date, it's the 30th of November 2002. And two weeks before this, exactly two weeks before this, the first case of severe acute respiratory syndrome, a zoonosis caused by a coronavirus is recorded in China. Good thing that never happened again. <laughs> And not only that, Kilmarnock had five future Um, Thistle players in their team in this game. Uh, Greg Shields, Stevie Fulton, Andy McLaren, Paul DiGiacomo and Craig Dargo would all go on to play for Thistle. You had the likes of DiGiacomo, you had Chris Boyd there as well. You had, yeah, there was was a lot of uh, talent in that Kilmarnock team, but I mean, like, in terms of talent, I mean, the the defenders could probably not be classed as that on this game because the first goal... Um, Burns outpaces two Kelly defenders, arguably three, chases the ball down the middle to fire past Gordon Marshall for a great, a great, great goal. But the first goal like, is pretty good as well. All three goals are great. Yeah. Like, like, especially the last two. Uh, but the first goal's really good as well. I've got a lot of time for guys uh, passing the ball in front of themselves and chasing it on and getting it. Which is what he does for the first goal. He like he get he gets it down, and he plays it on for he, he plays it on for himself. He knocks it in front of himself to run onto and scores emphatically, uh, much in the style like we talked about in the Motherwell game. The second goal, the second goal for me, Eric, I could you, you could put an argument down. The second goal is actually better than the third because. He's chasing it into the channel, and although Gordon Marshall's came out, 
the angle is tight. He's also on the still, touchline. You've still got to get it over the keeper, and you've got to get the the velocity right to ensure you don't mishit it, and therefore Marshall's able to get back. And he's managed to get it over Marshall and into the goal. It's a very difficult skill get a chip right to get two in the same game against. Gordon Marshall was not a bad like Gordon Marshall was a very good goalkeeper. A very good especially goalkeeper. at this time. Like Gordon Marshall, I think he was coming towards the end of his career. I'm not too sure, but Gordon Marshall was certainly not a mug. Absolutely not. I mean, like that 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 second goal. Actually, is, if he goes a, a step to the right, it is out for a shy. And I'm like full credit for him for spotting Marshall off his line from so far away and thinking, "Fuck, I'm having a go." Lobbing a keeper's difficult. I've seen his, I, I reckon I've seen his maybe do it five or six times in 15 years. It's hard to do. And the way he's able to, is that angles tightening. He needs to get that touch right to A, get the ball back into the sort of goal mouth, like the, the sort of penalty area over Marshall and making sure that it goes into the back of the net, whether he means it or not. It's it's incredible technique to do that, and then the second goal, the second uh, chip is incredible. I talked about with the first goal about making sure you get you hit the ball right, and you hit you hit you, you need to get everything spot on about technique, about how hard you hit it, and this one he just gets that wee feather light touch to just loft it high enough and up and over. They act like get the angle where it dips behind them. Like it's like a golf shot. It really is it, like a golf it shot. Really it really is. It, 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 the way it, the way it sort of arches in the air and down over them and in. It's it's an incredible goal, incredible technique. It's, um, it's, it's audacious as well as in the fact oh, yeah. that it, it, it honestly it glides in on a cloud. It takes it's about an hour to get in. The type of technique you would associate with sort of continental Europe. It's a Football Italia goal, isn't it? It's a Football Italia goal, La Liga maybe. Uh, You do not associate it with the pushing rain in Glasgow. (laughs) So it's definitely not what you expect for the time at all. They're goals that should be treasured. I I watched them back uh, preparing for this and I'm blown away by the general quality of these of those two goals, the first two, the last two goals, because you need to be really good to do that. Like the first, the first goal is good too, but the other two are phenomenal. Being able to pick out that sort of one bit of space in order to get that in, quite I, something. Yeah, absolutely something that should be cherished because it's you, you just don't see that anymore. And just the, the sheer, like the. The thing, the, the thing that I've seen from all of these games that I've been looking back on them is see that just the ferocity and the the attacking sort of the, the the bit between our teeth. Even when we were not the better side, we were giving it a go and we were like we were playing quite. I oh, know it definitely is testament it's testament to how Lambie had the players playing. Like with no doubt in my mind, uh, there's you can see why so many Thistle fans revere them and rightly so. There is no, nothing wrong with revering that at all, but the, the style of which we played at that in that game in particular is something else. It is something we sorely miss, but I think you've got to remember what worked for guys then. Doesn't it, maybe doesn't it really translate now, but you, you, you can get why people would feel like, oh, we need to get back to doing things like that. You can see why people think like that, because when when you get moments as good as that you're always going to be really nostalgic for such brilliant, brilliant moments. And at the sort of end, if I can, to give an honourable mention to a goal in a game. We didn't win this game, of course. It comes actually a few weeks after this one, and it's against Rangers in that game I talked about when we were covering the Dunfermline game. There's a bit of skill in this where... Jerry Britton oh, what? Oh, this, pulls, this pulls the ball out the air and he flicks it across the box for Kenny Milne to square it for Toasty to score. It is one of the most outrageous bits of skill from Jerry Britton I have seen from any Thistle player. 
the way he the way he just cuts through that Rangers team, that Rangers team that won a treble that season probably should have gone on to win that game. The less said about Kevin Muscat, the better. But like the, the skill involved in that game, in that goal in itself is something else. The build up is something is outstanding. The way he pulls it out of the air like he's like he's Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer was really good at that at that time. It wouldn't look at a place in the Premier League or in any big league in Europe, and yet it's Jerry Britton and Alex Burns for Partick Thistle in the Scottish Premiership. You know what I mean? How many clubs can say that their chief executive officer done that? Like, it's so weird seeing like you're seeing like Jerry Britton in his, his role now, and then you look at videos and you think. Jerry Britton fascinates me as a footballer. My dad's a Celtic fan, and like he remembers Jerry playing for Celtic, mm-hmm. and like it was, like, it was, it was okay. You would get guys who you would, you could tell are very good at what they do, very good footballers. And Jerry had a very good career um, in Scotland in the top flight for us and for other clubs, indeed. But like I see things like that, and then you, you try to match it up with the guy, like you said, and you're like. What? Can you imagine if you showed someone the clip of uh, Jerry going, "That's all, folks," and locking the door, and then showed them that? Please, that, that, that's the same. With all, with all respect, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the same. He's a really guy. nice guy. Whenever I've interacted with him, I'd rather not think about that. <laughs> but yes, to finish off um, our Alex Burns supper, uh, we put out the call for a poetry competition fans of the podcast to write in with their best Thistle poems so me, Mark and Jamie are going to go through that just now and rate our best. We'll, we'll go for Matt's first, Matt Greer um, close to the show, we'll go for his first. There once was a player called Lawless, his passing and dribbling were flawless, he left us for living, we replaced him with Diddy's if well go down, I hope he'll call us Yeah um, I'm not going to lie, I thought with Matt, of someone of Matt's intellect, that would be a whole lot better. <laughs> I, I had high standards. And furthermore, proven the point of why I, sh- why I keep mine low. So why, Matt, I, I, thought, I, yeah, I thought it was good. I, I, I mean, I like the idea, but fucking hell. And the next one is a submission by Colin Henderson. Yep, so this one's called Addy Aziz. When Addy hit that thunderbolt in the League Cup against Steady, the Firhill fans thought they were in for Aziz's goals aplenty. It was three months that we would wait for a goal against Dundee. Add an assist in the second half, it's all up for Aziz. Six more months of chances spurned, the Jags fans would endure. Waiting, praying, hoping for a goal for Addy to procure. 5th of April, Celtic Park, the Invincibles we face. They'd won the title on Saturday for the doing we were braced. A guard of honour at the start, the champion's possession. Partick Thistle come to town, the party's there for reckon. Across from Christie, low and true in minute 64. As he taps it in the goal to level up the score. Was it Lawless or a moo? It might be Gary Miller. No, he plays for Plymouth now. I hate this fucking pillar. The Thistle fans in restricted view, and delirium start to cry. Aziz is in fire, your defence is terrified. A Cherney save later, the result was academic. A crushing 1-1 defeat of the Invincibles of Selic. They cry the name of Adi Aziz from the Campsies to the Euros. Three goals, a thousand sitters, and a massive fucking mural. That, that, that's, that's, that is very good. Uh, I think that one's going to be hard to beat. And he got all the dates as well. I've got to say, I think that one's going to be pretty hard to beat. Yeah, yeah I would say that's hard to beat. I was half expecting there to be some sort of cyclist, bike, um, anecdote <laughs> right to the end. But, nah, I must admit, I, try, I was nearly actually laughing out loud at the pillar, but I thought that was really fucking funny. This one is on VBL and Twitter. Let us have pie and bovril, cheers and fucking booze, pints and Fanta the day after. McCall, being reasonable, must sign duels. The best of life is but a front three of Doolan, Erskine and Lawless. Glory, the goal against Livy in March 2013. Love, goals and knees are sunk. The hopes of all Jags found in every nation. Without their groans, how branches were the trunk. 
of life strange fit by tree so fruitful an occasion. But to return, get very drunk, and when you wake with headache, you shall see what league we're in. I quite like that one. Certainly more emotive than the other two, but... Saying it, it's painfully true, some of that, about realising what league you're in sometimes, and how far we've fallen. It's more on the Burns side, I think. Yeah. And the other ones, I think it's, it's more more romantic. Definitely more cutting. A wee bit too cutting. So this final one is by Jamie Fleming. There once was a man in the Jackie whose terrace decorum was lacking. He'd had a few scoofs. His language and coof security sent his arse packing. That a dig? I don't know. It was Jamie Fleming that wrote it. So uh, uh, do you know Jamie Fleming? I do not know Jamie Jamie Fleming, but quite, like quite, frankly, quite frankly, I don't know if I should need to get a lawyer. It, it very much is a, a, a Mark poem. I was a bit of wonder, I was like, is, that you get, is, like, is your art button broken, motherfucker? Like, <laughs> you have been subtweeted um, on this one. I've been subtweeted in the form of a poem. That's a bit special subtweeting of all time. No, no, no comment. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so you have to crown a winner. Um, I I think just for the reaction I got a uh, mark, I would give it to Jamie Fleming, uh, just because it rattled Mark Stop and that's what I like to see my We have to take this to the Supreme Court. Can it, Arbitration. Stop the steal. <laughs> you must steal. I've I've got to give it to the ideas you want. I actually didn't catch who that one was by, but. I think that one was the best. It was pretty, as I said at the time, it was pretty uh, hard to top that one. So I'm going to give it to the idea Z's one. And Mark, your thoughts? Who do you think's won it? I'm going to give it, I'll give it to the idea Z's one. Uh, I still think uh, Mr. Fleming should uh, seek legal counsel. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not fucking stand for this. Thanks again for joining us in Draw Loser Draw. We'll be back soon with more episodes. Um, for the meantime, you can see us on Twitter at Draw Loser Draw, and obviously we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, all those. Thanks again to our guests Mark Wallace and Jamie McDonald, as well as to everyone who contributed to the poetry competition. As our regular host Matt would say, stay safe and wear a mask.